Welcome to the Tyson Pre-Show. I hope you had a great Christmas and a happy new year. You know, the new year is really when we get started and we start thinking about things uh, that we want to change and things we want to do differently. So for this week and next week's podcast, I have an incredible guest on and we'll get to that in just a minute. But before we do, I want to encourage you to find the mountain that you need to climb. Climb it. Get after it. Ascend to that hill and own it. If you need help doing that, I would love to walk beside you on your journey up that mountain to own it. Reach out to me, Tyson at TysonPriest.com or go to my website, TysonPriest.com. There I have a couple of tools for you in the Climb Tools menu option across the top. There's also a list of former podcasts that are all about managing transition, getting through transitions, and climbing that mountain of your dreams. Well, without any further ado, I want to get into my interview with Johnny Wooten. Johnny is a uh, special education teacher in the UK, but he's also a um, has a degree in psychology and works with professional rugby and soccer players in the UK. So you definitely want to listen as he talks about the changes and the transitions that they go through and then how that applies to our life. So here is the first part of my interview with Johnny Wooten. Well, with me today is Johnny Wooten. Johnny is in the UK and Johnny does something very, very unique um, with uh, psychology and athletes. Johnny, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, my name is Johnny Wotton. Um, I run a company um, which I'm trying to launch as well in America. It's doing well in the UK at the moment. It's called Strong Minds International. And I've come up with this company because um, I've got like a lot of experience in psychotherapy, hypnotherapy, CBT. Uh, have a master's in creative writing, and I'm a qualified teacher. Um, but more than that, really, I'm uh, I've been coaching sport for 30 years. So mm-hmm. I put together a kind of I put together something that I feel is needed that suits my skills. Yeah, that is that is tremendous. Um, identifying your strengths and your skill set, and then finding where that fits. <clears throat> Um, in your part of the world is is really really good. Um, tell us a little bit about Strong Mind International. Right. Okay. Um, well, a mutual friend of ours, Philip McNerland, um, oh. I created something before SMI, Strong Mind International, and I did it in lockdown uh, when I had a lot oh. of time on my hands, and I created something called the Brim Technique which is a kind of a combination of different therapies. Uh, BRIM stands for Belief, Resilience, Inspiration and Meaning. And sport has always been like hugely important to me. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to create a offshoot of BRIM, which was very much um, involved with sports and, um, and, you know, and hel- helping people at the high school and collegiate level in terms of yeah. mentally. Um, working on their belief systems, um, mm-hmm. resilience when they felt that you know things were not going right and there were chances that they'd quit, 
Uh, inspiration is very much about focus and visualization. And I think the meaning really is a massive one for me. I feel that there's a there's like a mental health crisis, certainly in the UK at the moment. I've not really looked at the data in the US mm. where um, where we we do have huge, huge amount of suicides in people below 25. Um, that's something I'm really passionate about doing what I can do, which is probably a drop in the ocean and helping mm. resolve that. And I just think I know you have a very, very strong faith Mm -hmm. so that's the reason I want to mention this but I, but I just believe that young people are what, now are like um, like rudderless ships and they're just kind of floating around yeah. and they don't have the um, they don't have a why why am I here, what, what am I doing um, mm. it's not so much goal setting um, it's more about just um, being happy in your own skin and having a meaning to life rather than, you know, just going from job to job or college to college or exam to exam. And I think if you have a meaning and for you like a faith, mm -hmm. um, I believe that something like this can really reduce it. Yeah, I I happen to be on your website, <clears throat> um, thebremtechnique.com, and was looking at that. Um, yeah, the belief, resilience, um, imagination, motivation. Um, can you walk us through yeah. uh, each of those four things, what it does to us, why those are important? Um, I think our listeners would like to hear that. Right. Well, okay. Funny thing is, Tyson, um, I went into a school to deliver a talk and I said, what are your beliefs? A lot of people will be thinking straight away that it was maybe a religious question. Um, sure. But I'm talking more about limiting beliefs. Mm. About, you know, if you said to somebody who'd only ever run four minutes and one second for a mile, that they could run under a mile, sometimes, so, or under four minutes, sometimes is a deep-rooted thing that it's not possible because somebody's not done it before. So in changing somebody's belief system is about getting them to unconsciously and consciously realize that they are capable and, and that, um, you know, things, good things can be achieved. And it, it's okay. just amazing, you know, even if you have a conversation with somebody, it's amazing how limiting their beliefs are. And it could be as simple as, you know, I believe it's going to rain today. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I saw one magpie today, so I believe superstitiously I that see. I'm going to have a bad day. Mm -hmm. um, with beliefs, looking a little bit deeper into systems, let's, you know, let, let's look at sport now. And people put limits on where they think or what they think they can achieve. And that severely holds people back. So okay. belief systems are extremely important to me in challenging them. I don't mm -hmm. think as, a, as somebody who works as, as a therapist and a teacher, I, I don't think you can make somebody change their beliefs. But what I think you can do is like open the door, show them a bigger mm -hmm. picture, 
and really challenge their belief system so they end up making the decision and realizing something that they thought wasn't possible is yeah. possible. Well, the next part of, um, of BRIM is resilience. Okay. Now, resilience, to be honest, I don't really like the word. I don't know if it's used a lot in America, but it's uh -huh. kind of almost overused here. Now, I see. Sometimes I believe the word resilience makes you feel like you've got to be some sort of superman mm. and so when i work with clients and schools and colleges on resilience a lot of it is prevention rather than cure so I building see. up strength building up abilities um building up relaxation techniques stress management before it becomes a problem because it's a lot easier to treat uh, to treat something before it comes a problem than to try and pick up the pieces. Absolutely. Um, imagination is all about, yeah, yeah, certainly is. Imagination is very much about uh, visualization, really. It's like manifesting. Mm. And I'm sure you've seen it, but it's, it's pretty famous and it's been, it was a very well marketed book, you know, we've known this for hundreds, if not like thousands of years. Um, if you'd seen like The Secret or read the book The Secret. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the way I link it to that is it's about seeing what you want to happen rather than seeing what you're trying to avoid happening. So, so the, way I, the way I look at this, if you we, if we think of the unconscious mind, the unconscious mind doesn't understand the word not. So... Mm or don't or things like that it just yeah. it focuses on certain things so if i said to you titan i want you to do your very 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 best not to picture an image of the devil mm -hmm. i would imagine that an image of the devil would come into your mind <laughs> now the way to get around that really in terms of visualization, you focus on what you want to happen. You never focus on what you don't want to happen. So, so I would, if I was trying to reverse that and saying, don't think of the devil, I would say, well, why don't you picture Why don't you think of a picture of God? Mm. And it's the same thing. So you're thinking of God and, you know, mm -hmm. we all have different images. You know, mm -hmm. maybe he's got a beard and he's grown and he's got white hair and he's all knowing and, mm -hmm. you know, and things like that. Um, so okay. it's about visualizing, you know, cut a long story short, it's about visualizing what you want to happen. Never, ever, ever, ever visualize about what you don't want to happen. Got it. Um, uh, the last one, um, I used to always call this motivation, but I think to be motivated about something you need to have a meaning and mm. uh, i had a meeting with a professional rug rugby player pretty much similar to your um you, you know the nfl and you know mm -hmm. and, and football as you call it yes and he says he gets up up every single day and says to himself what is my why and it's very easy to be motivated if you have a reason to be motivated if yes. that makes sense Absolutely. Okay, so <clears throat> so belief. That was, a kind of a long, that was a long way around. <laughs> that was great. 
that was that was tremendous. Yeah, go, nice and good. Yeah. So belief, resilience. That. Thank you. Um, belief and resilience. Resilience is, I don't think is overused. I'm, I'm, yeah, I don't think that uh, resilience is overused in the United States. I think that it's something that we need more of um, here in the States. And so I like that word, at least in our context, um, in our culture. And then imagination. Yes, I, man, spot on. I, I know that when I have a task to accomplish, um, I do vis- visualization. I, I imagine myself accomplishing that task, going the way I want it to go, um, whether it's public speaking or um, one of my hobbies is I make knives on the side. I picture myself doing that, going exactly the way I want it to go. Um, and that is, that is super, super uh, empowering and leads to confidence in the moment. Um, and then the final one, you know, meaning, motivation, why are you doing it? Um, you know, that rugby player that you talk to about, you know, every day, what is my why? Why am I doing this? Um, it's about purpose. I, I want to back up for a minute, though, and I want to talk about limiting beliefs if we can. I know this wasn't part of the script, but um, I want to talk about limiting beliefs. Can you share with us where do those come from? How do those develop in our life? What I think, Titan, is we think everything is impossible until it happens. Mm. And we do have pioneers that make it happen. So somebody will cross the, you know, cross the threshold. So, for instance, we never imagined walking on the moon until Neil Armstrong did it. Mm-hmm. And I know you like your sport. I mean, my main sport is athletics. And I love it because it's, it doesn't seem scientific, but it's, it's, it's about the body, the heart, the lungs, muscular structure. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the, it's the purest form of sport. And mm. in, in the 1950s, Roger Bannister was the first man to run a sub-four-minute mile. But for about 15 years up to that time, nobody could run under the four-minute barrier because deep in their psyche, it was seen as impossible. Mm-hmm. And then, so that went on for like 15 years or so, and then Roger Bannister broke the threshold and then within a couple of years of that, about 15 people had broken the four-minute mile. Wow. So they, they'd seen it as being done. So they thought, right, well, this is achievable. So it's a little bit what you, like what you just said about, um, about um, you know, your visualization. Um, right, the unconscious mind doesn't know the difference um, between something that's real or is imagined. So if you're deep, if you're meditating, if you're doing some self-hypnosis and, and, you know, and you're working on this, mm-hmm. um, what you're doing is, so you were saying you like to make knives, you're seeing the task as being completed and your mind, all you have to do is associate what you see in your mind with a feeling. 
So mm. you're seeing Chapman the knife right at the end and kind of things like that. Now, you have to you have to associate it with a feeling. So you would maybe, you, you think of a feeling that kind of creates an emotion and this really makes it stick in the unconscious mind. So once you've finished doing the knife, if you feel kind of proud of what you've done, um, it's a lot easier to take that information in and it's, it, and it's a lot easier for it to become embedded in your subconscious mind. Um, and it works. I mean, I remember when I first started to work on this kind of thing. Um, what I used to do in the past is I'd go to like um, a supermarket, um, you know, mm-hmm. you tell like the bit, of, you know, like a big store or something like that. Sure. And I always like used to dread being no parking spots or a parking spot <laughs> nowhere near the entrance. So what I used to think about is I used to imagine pulling into the supermarket and finding a spot really easily, plenty of gaps. You can open the doors. You can open, like, the boots or trunk, as you would say. And mm-hmm. I used to imagine it in clear detail. And I, I would also add to it how good I felt that, you know, I was lucky enough to find the spot so close. Um, mm-hmm. And what started to happen, it didn't happen straight away. I mean, we're talking about the law of the seed now. Some people think, right, today I'm going to start to think positive, but it takes time. If you want to, you know, if you want to grow a plant and you put some seeds in and water it once and say, well, there was no plant, so I'm going to give up on it. <laughs> you, you've got to keep watering it and giving it sunlight and nurturing yes. it and things like that. And within maybe a month, six weeks, every time I went into a car park, there's a parking spot there. I mean, it, it sounds almost unbelievable. I ex- expected it to be there, I saw it there, and I found the parking spot all the time. I do that all the time now. I never ever mm. struggle parking. Wow. It's not the be- maybe not the best sample. <laughs> that is no, that is a tremendous um tremendous point, tremendous um analogy and and to go with that point. <clears throat> I know I think I read someplace, and you might be able to confirm this. I read someplace where our our mind, our brain, is naturally wired to be negative, um, and we have to work to make it positive. Is, is that the case? Yeah, I think so. I, I would liken it to, I mean, the brain's obviously an organ, uh, similar to a muscle. If you went to the gym every day and you did a certain workout and let's say you were focusing on lifting heavier weights, you Mm -hmm. couldn't do it once a month and expect much change. But if you did that every day or every other day, within months you're going to start to see results. So the the biggest advice I would give is don't give up quickly. You know, keep pushing it. It will happen. And I think we do get, I mean, you may be listening to this podcast, but, um, um, you know, a me- in fact, I'll say a member of my family kind of expects the worst. And all they seem to get is bad luck. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've tried to kind of talk them through it, but they just feel like they're doomed to have bad luck. Almost that being miserable makes them happy. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it, you, you know, it's really strange. I've introduced them to books by 
great author Andrew Matthews or, you know, reading Tony Robbins or, you mm -hmm. know, people like that. Yeah. All have very, very similar sort of messages, just kind of packaged up and marketed a little bit different. Um, one thing I would like to kind of point out about this, I think it's, I think it's a really good point. I, along with building up Strong Minds International, I've, I've been a teacher for, I've had a few different careers, but I've been a qualified teacher for about 10 years now. Okay. And I like to work with children that are challenging. Their backgrounds might have been difficult. Uh, they might be in foster care. Um, you know, they might live in a children's home, you know. Um, I don't remember what you call it in America, but it's, you know, being yeah. in care, basically. Uh -huh. And... I had this class, it was a class of boys, and there were six of us, and they were constantly talking negative. And I said, right, guys, I want you to come outside, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a demonstration, and you're all going to get involved. So we went outside into the, kind of, in, into the playground, and there were some football goals, just kind of small goals, only like a couple of metres high. Well, mm -hmm. not even that, sort of a metre high. And I said, right, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to put a ball down and I want you to kick the ball and try and hit the crossbar, you know, mm -hmm. the top of the posts. Mm -hmm. And they all had a goal. One person actually hit it. I tried mm -hmm. a few times and missed it after that. I said, right, okay, what I want you to do now is we're going to go back in the classroom and we're all going to focus on every part of, we're going to break it down. So you're putting the ball down. You're imagining that. You're running up to the ball. You can see it clearly. Your foot's making contact with the ball. You can see that clearly. You can feel the ball around your foot. And then you see the ball go towards the crossbar and it hits it. And we did it again and again and again. And we kind of almost chased away the, um, we kind of chased away the negativity. So okay. we went out and there was a big difference. Big, big difference. So, like, most of the kids that had some form of ability um, hit the crossbar twice out of ten times hmm. before they've got nowhere near it. It's not an easy task. Yeah. So, after that, what we did is I let them practice and then they would try and hit it again and it went up to maybe three or four. So, the so then they practiced and they'd seen it and they'd felt the emotion. Then we went back in and it was all, almost kind of like a, a little bit of a hypnosis session, which is generally mm -hmm. a bit like a positive meditation. So we went uh -huh. back out again. So they'd hit the ball practicing. So they got mm -hmm. the technique down um, and then you know, they hit the crossbar. They'd, they'd done that in practice. They'd visualized it. They'd then done it, seen it visualized again and then the success rate went up to six seven times wow and they were absolutely mesmerized by it how how is this possible? what we did then uh we went into the classroom again and then we did kind of a session on mental rehearsal positive mm -hmm. thinking and the kind of attitude in that class really started to change mm -hmm. so when they had say a math exam coming up or an english exam or history we would focus on it and we would see, we, we, I would teach them to see the question and instead of feeling scared that they felt, yeah, I've got this. And then things really start to change. I was there like six, seven months. It was quite a short-term gig. 
Um, but I do, I've seen some of the boys now are like sort of 18 years old now, and they still mention that those kind of sessions that we did. So, so it's not that I talk about it. I actually put it into practice. Yeah. That's awesome. That that's tremendous. <laughs> I might actually suggest that to my, to my wife, she is a special education teacher. Um, and so I might suggest she try a little, um, experiment. I even know it. It's Lynn, isn't it? I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, I remember Select telling me your wife's called Lynn. I remember Select mentioning your wife's called Lynn. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Lynn. That's correct. Right. 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 And, I try uh, and have a good memory. It works sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she is always looking for new things to do with sorry, her sorry. students. Sorry to break you off. Oh, you're fine. You're fine. Um, but she's yeah. always looking for things to do with, with her students. And, um, I'd like to, I'd like to kind of talk about, um, you know, as people, regardless of where we might live, um, we're always facing transitions and changes in our life. Um, and I think a lot of what you do with professional yeah. athletes there in the UK, I think what what you do can speak well to us who are not athletes as we face transitions. What are some key things that you think that as we face a life transition, um, what are some key things that we should be doing uh, mentally to keep us strong as we go through changes? Right. Well, Obviously, we had a little chat about this, and um, so I've given it some thought over the last few days. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at how an athlete kind of retiring and transitioning into almost like a new life, mm -hmm. how that could relate to our lives. So I started to look at grief, and you know, the, the sometimes there's five stages, six or seven stages of grief. When yes. it turns into, when we look at it for a sports person, um, it kind of really kicks in at the last two stages, like depression and then acceptance. Um, but what what I think the key thing is here, um, I can't remember his surname now, but I don't know if you've ever watched the Gaia channel. I'm sorry, what is E-A-I-A. Yes. Um, it's something yes. that I watch anyway. It's, you know, it's, it's in Boulder, Colorado. Um, you get lots of off-the-wall stuff, but there's, there's a lot of good stuff in there too. Uh -huh. And and I think a lot of it is it it comes down to I think it comes down to early childhood, and so so you're relating it into the home then, and what I think, what I personally believe uh, should be happening early from parents is kind of helping their children focus on their goals. Mm -hmm. um, I think sometimes in society we try and fit in and do mm. what we think we should be doing um, you know, instead of focusing on what we really want to do. So I think the key thing early is, you know, what do you want to do? What excites you? What makes you happy? I mean, happiness yeah. is very underrated. And who took happiness one-on-one -on -one at school? <laughs> well, we certainly don't in England. <laughs> yeah, we and, don't hear either. And, you know, I think a lot of it relates to that. Yeah, 
well, it should be on the curriculum. So we we kind of don't. It's sometimes I feel as though we're born with. Um, this is my personal opinion that we're mm-hmm. born with a like a path that we need to take, and I suppose it's a, uh, a bit like a, an old friend of mine who decided when he was thirty that he wanted to become a Catholic priest. Mm. You know, it'd been there all the time, but he probably didn't think it was the right thing for him to do. So I think mm-hmm. he kind of worked in a wood shop or, you know, he did something very valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, he did something that he didn't feel was his calling. So let's say, let's call it a calling uh, sure. rather than something you want to do. And I think we should be encouraging people to follow the calling. Um, but we should always be like equipping people with a plan B or even a plan C as well. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of the time what happens with an athlete is that they're certainly over here. It's, I mean, it's got ridiculous. Like a team like a big football team, say like Liverpool or Manchester City, so a soccer mm-hmm. team, mm-hmm. Um, they're identifying kids at the moment at four years old, mm-hmm. um, which I think is preposterous. I think it's absolutely ridiculous, but, you know, that's the way it is. Um, so, and they're pretty much told from probably nine or ten that, barring injury or falling out of love with the game, that they will become a soccer player and they will wow. probably earn a lot of money from it. Yeah. Now, we, we tend to throw up all our eggs in one basket in this country. Yes. So I think one of the reasons why a sportsman, an athlete, might get to, say, 32, 33 or in Tom Brady's, um, in Tom Brady's, he's probably <laughs> going to be about 67 when he retires. Right, but right. What, what an athlete does here, they'll get to the they'll get to within a year towards the end of the career and thinking, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And, mm. that in, and they're not equipped, they don't really know how to do anything else. Um, mm. And that's why I think the US system far better than the UK system in that. I know this doesn't happen all the time and you might get great footballers having, you know, cheerleaders and rally girls uh-huh. kind of helping them out with homework. But <laughs> we don't link sport to education at all. So from what I understand oh. in America, you've got to, you know, you've got to turn in your papers and you've got to hit a certain amount of grades to be able to even practice with the team. Correct. Um, we don't have that. So I think we're missing a trick there. In the States, mm. I feel that, you know, you know, most people have a plan B. Yes. Um, and invariably, the reason we don't have a plan B is that people get to a certain age and then suddenly feel completely lost, that the only thing they've ever focused on is finished. Yes. So if I can link that to... If I can link that to, you know, Joe Bloggs, you know, John Doe, the, you know, the, you know, the everyday person, I would say, yes, live in the moment and do exactly what you want to do in your life and achieve things. But, you know, have, have other interests too. Um, and just make sure that if, if plan A doesn't work out, that you've got a good plan B. And plan B is going to be a good plan B. It can't be something where... And, you know, it's, well, I suppose I'll have to do this.
was a great interview with Johnny Wooten, and I know you are looking forward to the second part of that interview as much as I am next week. But there was something that he talked about in regards to Brim. Uh, Brim, as we talked about, Brim is belief, resilience, imagination, and then motivation or meaning. And so when you think about the belief, right, what limiting beliefs do I have? How resilient am I to break through those? And do I imagine or picture myself breaking through those? And really, as he said, your subconscious doesn't know the word no. It just thinks that it can. And through years of negativity, and so we begin to suppress that, And we really have to break through. And then as he talked about when, you know, as he works with uh, professional rugby players, really what's their meaning every day when we get up? What's my why? Why am I doing this? What's motivating me? But again, for me, um, and maybe for you, there's a key part in one of those four. For me, it's the imagination piece. It's the part where I am really picturing myself breaking that barrier and then accepting the feeling of breaking that barrier. It is so key and so important to, for me, um, and maybe for you, it's another one, but for me, it's, it's about seeing myself doing it before I ever get there, before I ever accomplish it. It's so, so big. Um, and really telling yourself, you got this, right? Next week, we're going to cover part two as he talks about working with professional athletes, professional soccer players, uh, professional rugby players in the UK. I know he's worked with uh, players from Manchester United and so on. So don't miss next week's interview for sure. Well, listen, if you're listening to this podcast and you're enjoying what you're hearing, please rate this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. Also give us a thumbs up, give us five stars and tell your friends about it. That really helps this podcast increase its viewership, helps it get seen a little bit more. Listen, until next week, walk and climb the mountain of your dreams. Stand on top of it and own it. Out.